0: So what happened? Well, I woke up and I got out of the bed and I walked over to the desk and opened the drawer, but then I looked back and my body was still in the bed. Whoa. What happened then? Well, as soon as I noticed that, my consciousness was back in my body. So I got up and tried it again that is really intense.
1: But it's not just you. There have been surveys where anywhere from 37 to 60% of the group reported having paranormal or exceptional experiences of various kinds. And tonight we're going to be looking into someone that had thousands
0: of spiritual experiences. If it's the person I'm thinking of, not only did he have them, but he also meticulously recorded them.
1: Yeah, and from that can we categorize but also get a sense of the underlying mechanism. Are Swedenborg's reports of the interaction between the spiritual and physical senses a key to why spiritual experiences do or don't
0: happen. And with these experiences happening as often as they do, not to mention the implications of what they might be pointing to, i.e. another entire plane of reality, why wouldn't we want to take a look? Yeah, I'm with you. Stay tuned.
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborgian Life. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm here with Swedenborg scholar Dr. Jonathan Rose. How's it hey, going? Hey Curtis, how are you doing? Thanks for coming, and today we're talking about the different types of spiritual experiences. Mm. But to even have that conversation that brings up an initial conundrum, which is why do we divide experiences into these two types, mm. spiritual and regular, because what di- distinguishes between the two, but also they're so, they're, they don't deserve to be in the same size buttons on the screen, because they're so different in mm. character. I mean, you can have spiritual experiences, you can go a whole lifetime without having anything that you would yeah. call a spiritual That's experience, right. and they're also so sporadic people can have them, but then they can't repeat them, they, they don't know how to get back to them. Mm. Have you
0: ever, have you ever had a spiritual experience? I, I've had a few few experiences. Um uh, There's sort of two kind of big ones. Like I saw a great light one time and another you time saw I light? had I, mm. I, I, a light. I don't yeah. know. You know, okay. It was a great okay. light. <laughs> and, uh, and I also had an out of body experience, uh, one time yeah. when I was younger. And then I've had, um, some visions. I've had some lucid dreams, you know, seeing people who passed on a lot of garden variety inspiration. But, uh, if you put it all together, it would be like a slow day before breakfast for Swedenborg. But, uh, But I have been blessed to have a few of those experiences. How how about you? I don't think so. I mean, nothing
1: that I would call Mm. overtly... but like, how do you tell? What what counts as a spiritual experience? That's part of why I want to get at this today, because that's why the, the types that we're going to try to sort into are important here. So these are the five types that we've got for you. Uh, We have hypnagogic, lucid dreaming, meditative, out-of-body experiences, and simultaneous Mm. experiences. Those are the modern terms anyway that I've been finding people are using to describe these sorts of experiences. Except for this one, simultaneous... uh, I just made that up because because there's a a kind of experience that I don't see a common term for. But these were all based on Swedenborg's categories of, of spiritual experiences.
0: Yeah, that's right. He talks particularly about five different types of visions as he was becoming aware of these things. He talks about visions just while waking up, but clearly perceived, visions in dreams, visions awake, but with eyes closed, visions in which the spiritual senses are withdrawn from the physical senses, and visions in which the spiritual senses and physical senses appear to be one. And what intrigues me about his list is that there's so much emphasis in in there, even though he's talking about spiritual experiences, look at how every single one references the body in some way, whether the body is awake or asleep, you know, uh, are his eyes closed, and the physical senses come up several times. In yeah, there.
1: Why, and so why is he explaining spiritual experiences in terms of the physical senses? Mm. This is, I'm getting a lot of questions as we go. Yeah. Well, are, are these the only types? Is it just right, those right. five? And I think we need to really dig into this stuff, so I, I hope you don't mind, but I read, wrote us a to-do list. Here. Oh, that's it's, great. I'm it's glad relatively you got complex. We've got to explore the five types. or We can't just have that in the title and <laughs> no. not look into it. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, yeah, man. I want to know why do they parallel like that? So why do you have Swedenborg laying out categories a couple hundred years ago? And we can find people also from the, the conglomeration of all their experiences having these uh, same categories kind We're of still arrive. still talking
0: about similar things today. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Without any awareness of what he said about it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so right. what's the mechanism
1: right. that does that? But then... Why does it matter? Like, mm. Why are we going to spend this much time talking about spiritual experiences? Always a good question, yeah. Do, do they accomplish something? What's the, what's the emotional reason for them? Uh, mm. You know what I mean? Like, why, yeah, yeah. Why? Right. Why? 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 Uh, so, uh, to get there, as is the custom on our show, we're going to get through some Swedenborg weirdness. We're going to okay. navigate uh, a morphing tooth, Oh, really? some heavenly organ interaction, hmm. and, a, and if that's not enough for you, a talking hammer. <laughs> okay. So, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, and we're gonna begin in part one. Okay, so we want to dig into these categories of spiritual experiences and not only define what they are, but also take a look at what kind of stuff did Swedenborg find when he went on these trips. And the first category we're gonna look at is the hypnagogic state. And in case that sounds like a weird alien word to you, I have a definition for it. And it's actually a catch term that we're using here for two kinds of experiences. So it says, the hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations are visual, tactile, auditory, or other sensory events, usually brief but occasionally prolonged, that occur at the transition from wakefulness to sleep, hypnagogic, or from sleep to wakefulness, hypnopompic. And we're just going to use hypnagogic to describe both, because I can barely pronounce the other one, and it's confusing. The point is, it's when you're almost asleep and almost awake, but you're not quite either, and you can have very, uh, very cool experiences in this. And Swedenborg said that these are actually some of the sweetest experiences you can have. He defined it this way, back before there was any term like hypnagogic or hypnopompic or anything. In Spiritual Experiences, Word Explained 365, he's listing kinds of experiences and he says, but there is also another kind between the time of sleeping and the time of awakening, when we are in the process of waking up and have not yet shaken off the sleep from our eyes. This is the sweetest kind. For then heaven is working into our rational mind, with the utmost calm, but imparting understanding." Now, I do want to point out, Swedenborg uses this term, rational mind. So what is that? Is that just the logical part of us? It's actually a little more expansive than that in the way he uses it, so we got Latin expert Car to walk us through that. We usually think of our rational mind as our ability to reason. In Swedenborg, the rational mind is the part of us that understands truth. And specifically, it's the faculty of our mind that is capable of receiving influence from either heaven or from hell. When our mind is open to heaven, the rational mind is like a midway point between the invisible stuff of heaven and the visible things of this world. And you know the word rationality or rational is related to the word ratio, which is a relationship between two entities. And our rational mind has relation to both spiritual truth and worldly reality. So there's a little context. Heaven is able to work more easily with that part of your mind when you're in this state, right, between waking and sleeping. And since this is Swedenborgian life, we better start this off with with something weird. So here's from Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences 3791, in which there is a tooth that's sort of a tooth, but not a tooth. In a state of mind midway between sleep and wakefulness, we're in in our hypnagogic state. Closer to sleep, a tooth was wonderfully portrayed. It was not in the shape of a tooth or anything like a tooth seen in Wakefulness. Isn't that exactly like dreams? Like, no, I was in my house, but it wasn't my house. So he's writing the the same thing hundreds of years ago. I could not tell nor express what it was, but I perceived it as a tooth, which upon desire was turned into something like curdled milk." Okay, hopefully we set the bar weird enough you here. So why? Why is he seeing this in this hypnagogic state? This originated from the speech of the heavenly ones, expressing their desire that earthly qualities might become like what are symbolized by that tooth. This, a tooth is a common correspondence for, for external things. This showed what kind of a mental image exists in that state of mind, the meaning of which is well known to inward spirits, even though it had not the shape or appearance of a tooth, but was only perceived as a tooth so that it would be known that earthly qualities are symbolized. There was also portrayed something wide and flat in place of a tooth. So we're not going to take forever to parse the meaning of that, but the point is that he was being shown this when he was between waking and sleeping, and it communicating to him knowledge. It was teaching him sort of a a lesson about what heaven wishes our externals could be like, and they were using this tooth because, like, well, this is something you'll understand, a tooth. We're going to make it totally different because we have a a special meaning for it, but you know teeth, right? So there's this interplay between the the, the outer sort of fact part of our mind, the, the sensory part, and then this inner part that's coming in and talking to it. In strange ways. And it seems like these experiences that he gets in this hypnagogic state often have something further they're teaching him. If a tooth isn't weird enough for you, how about we gross you out a little bit? This is not that gross. It's a little bit, but so we're gonna learn a sort of a moral lesson from this next hypnagogic experience. This is Spiritual Experiences 3619. He says, when I was in a state of sleep and midway between sleep and wakefulness, a certain spirit constantly wanted me to take note of and write down the things on my mind. And it even seemed to him that, him that they were being written, but as I also perceived, it was for the sake of his own glory. For this reason, water was likewise seen flowing out of a canal. Filthy water. Is that gross? I guess it's not really. Therefore, whatever one does for one's own glory and aggrandizement is stagnant and filthy water. So there you have this imagery. First of all, there's a spirit who's talking to Swedenborg and saying, hey, everything you're thinking is so cool, you got to write it down, man. But secretly, somehow that spirit thinks that will improve his... Rep- not Swedenborg's, but the spirit's reputation. And Swedenborg sees this, this higher hypnagogic state is telling him, look, when you're just looking for your own glory, it's like this filthy water. And it's pertinent to Swedenborg because he had this problem earlier in life with wanting to be really well loved and really well respected. He wanted to be all prestigious, so he's like learning here. Hey man, don't be a puddle of filthy, stinky water, right? And the point is, with both of these experiences, there are characters in them, but there's also teaching. There are also things being imparted, so he's learning, and this is that heaven interacting with the mind in that state. So why... Why does the hypnagogic state work like this? Why is there this better communication with the other side when you're almost asleep, but not quite? And Swedenborg lays this out in Divine Love and Wisdom 257. He says that the mind can... our mind can be raised into the light of heaven. You can see that there's light, even though it's coming through heaven, and so we're close to where the angels are, but not exactly. But in that state, we can sense on our earthly level what angels sense spiritually. So we're both seeing this flower, but we're perceiving it in an earthly way. They're perceiving it in a heavenly way. So there's communication, but it's different. However, we can't go up actually into the angelic light itself. There's a barrier there, but from there... Swedenborg says, when we're approaching this light of angels in our mind, we can think and even talk, but they flow into our concepts. Meaning, this is why people have angels speaking to them in in English, or, or whatever language you know. It's not that the angels speak that language, but they flow into your knowledge of language, because your mind isn't quite on their level so they can communicate directly, but it's going into the things we know. That's why that tooth was popping up in Swedenborg's mind. But there's a key point here that he makes about it it, from Divine Love and Wisdom uh, 257. Still, if our spiritual level has been opened, we come into consciousness of that wisdom when we die. And we can also come into consciousness of it through the quiescence of our physical senses, and then through an inflow from above into the spiritual elements of our mind. So we can't cross that line except if our physical senses get... uh, moderate it a bit, or become quiescent. So if the senses are what's blocking, you know, you have this spiritual inflow trying to come in from above, but there's so much input from the world around us, we don't notice it, but when the senses get quiet, as they do when we're almost asleep, this inflow is better able to come in and we get this kind of connection. So he's saying we can kind of traverse that line, or transfer... traverse it? Traverse it if we have the the, the quietness in our senses that allows for it. So when you're almost asleep, that stuff is naturally shutting down, and as such, we have the opportunity for experience. So there's the hypnagogic. However, it's not not like your senses then wake all the way up when you actually get to sleep. So in there, in the sleep state, you're able to have what we call lucid dreaming. Now, this is a state which has been named lucid dreaming, you know, recently, but Swedenborg described something which seems to be exactly that, missing just this terminology in his journal of Spiritual Experiences four two fifty. Uh oh right. First, we kind of define lucid dreaming. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. In case you didn't know, it's not like I didn't really knew it that much before, but a lucid dream is a dream state in which one is conscious enough to recognize that one is in the dream state and which stays in one's memory. So you know you're dreaming, and then you really remember. You know how dreams slip out of the memory so fast, but you know you're dreaming, you can choose what you want to do, and you remember that you did it. That's a lucid dream. Swedenborg puts it this way, in, as I was hyping up before, Spiritual Experiences 4 to 50. In my sleep at night, when it was completely night and nothing was visible, then I was conducted into a state of inward wakefulness inward wakefulness, which was such that I knew absolutely nothing else but that I was awake. I thought as if awake, I saw as if awake, I was convinced that I was, so that I believed I was entirely awake. But it was an inward wakefulness, one of the spirit in me, not of the body. As I then enjoyed the full use of all the senses, with the same acumen and perspicuity, it seemed to me that there was someone sitting near me who appeared just like a person on earth, so dressed." having a human face and similar speech. He told me his name, but I was prompted to tell him that even though he so appears, yet he is a spirit. So Swedenborg's telling this dream guy, I know what you are. You're not just a dream figment of my imagination. You're a spirit. This it was granted me to show him, for when he touched me with his hand and arm, they went right through mine. But afterwards it also happened differently, and they did not pass through mine, and my sense of touch was entirely as when I am awake." Finally, I came out of this wakeful state of the Spirit into one of bodily wakefulness, and I was surprised to find it was a dark night, and I spoke with those I had been in, been with in that state of inward wakefulness. So two things, I think, make this exceptional. One is that he's there, he's seeing this guy in his dream, and he's able to say, no, I know you're not just a dream, you're a spirit. So there's some extra, because there's some extra communication with the spirit world. Not only that, he could talk to the guy afterwards and say, I saw you in my dream. So this is not just... A fuzzy communication between the, the dream brain and the spiritual world, but this is directly... you're seeing stuff, you're learning about the spiritual world, then you can go talk to the spiritual world about it afterwards. So that's sort of the, the difference here that Swedenborg describes in this, in this pretty, you know, pretty intense dream that he had. Whoa, that is some dream. Yeah, right? And I want to know, why does Swedenborg have these super dreams? But also, I I have dreams, so does that mean when I'm having Mm. a dream, I'm having a spiritual experience? Well,
0: maybe the best way to get into this is if you could go to sleep right now. Right here? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Could could you tell me that cool thing about Latin you were telling me yesterday? Oh, okay, that'll work. Yeah, watch this. So in Latin (laughs) verbs, they have different morphology, and there are four different moods Mm -hmm. of the verbs. There's a mood of reality, which is the indicative. There's a mood of unreality, which is the subjunctive. Greek even has another one called the optative. That stuff used to work on my kids, too. So what Curtis is going through now is that his consciousness is no longer picking up the signals. His physical body may be getting signals, but his consciousness is not paying attention to them anymore. Instead, he's in the dream world, and he's experiencing the imagery and the drama, the narrative that's going on in his dream. And Swedenborg says that that material all comes, in one way or another, from the spiritual world. Now, we get into the details in much greater depth in a show that we did before called Where Dreams Come From. But Swedenborg does say that his situation was a little different from other people's. Ever since he had his preternatural sleep and his spiritual awakening, uh, his relationship between the body and the spirit was a little different. Listen to this, what he says in Spiritual Experiences. Things were shown to me by means of a dream into which I was let. For then bodily qualities are put to sleep as if they were dead— Even more so in my case, because the spirit in me acts more separately from the body than in another. That's astonishing. Mm.
1: But wait, so are all spiritual experiences then sleep-related?
0: Oh, no, there are other kinds as well. Really? Well, we're going to look at those in part two. So... Swedenborg says that there are also spiritual experiences that he was having when he was awake. And one of these is what we could call the meditative. Now, this is a state in which you're wide awake, but you're calm, your body is still and so forth, so that your consciousness can go out into a kind of meditation. This is the way it's described by um, uh, Self-Realization Fellowship. The advanced yogi is able to withdraw his mind from the physical senses and direct their subtle astral powers to the inner activities of soul-freeing work. So that's amazing, the idea that you can actually direct your spirit away from your physical senses and somewhere else. It's quite astounding. And Swedenborg talks about this kind of state. Here's an example of something that happened to him when he was meditating. This is from True Christianity. On one occasion, when I was meditating on the Lord's second coming, so it's interesting to me his meditation had a topic. When I was meditating on the Lord's second coming, an intensely bright light suddenly appeared and shone right in my eyes. It's clear from context that this was a spiritual light. I looked up and was amazed to see that the whole heaven above me was full of light. I heard praises upon praises in a long chain from the east to the west. So, Swedenborg says that this actually had an impact as well as such an astonishing idea on people in the spiritual world. Like the way that they would perceive him would change. He says sometimes he would do this. Here's a quote from True Christianity He's talking about approaching someone. So, Swedenborg's gone off in a meditation. And he's directed his spirit. He sees someone he wants to talk to in the spiritual world, and he's walking on a road toward this person. And here's where we pick it up. When he saw me, this other person in the spiritual world, he said, I was astounded when I saw you coming along the road, because one moment you would be in view, and the next you would disappear. One moment I can see you, and then suddenly I cannot. You're definitely not in the same state of life as we are, talking about all the other people who are up there in the spiritual world. Tickled by that, I said, I'm not a trickster or a magician, but I do come and go. One moment, I'm in the light for you. The next moment, I'm in the shade. In this world, meaning the spiritual world, I'm both a foreigner and a native. So interesting. The sage looked at me and said, what you're saying is strange and amazing. Tell me who you are. Swedenborg says, I'm in the world where you used to live and have now left, I said which is called the earthly or physical world, I'm also in the world where you are now, called the spiritual world. As a result, I'm in an earthly state and a spiritual state at the same time. I'm in an earthly state with people on earth and in a spiritual state with all of you. When I'm in an earthly state, you do not see me. When I'm in a spiritual state, you do see me. This circumstance of mine is a gift from the Lord. As an enlightened man, you know that people in the earthly world do not see people in the spiritual world or the reverse. Therefore, when I put my spirit in my body, you do not see me. But when I take it out of my body, you do see me. This happens because of the difference between what is spiritual and what is earthly. So this is just like that yogi quote that Swedenborg was able to put his spirit in his body, put his spirit out of the body, and so... From a spiritual perspective of other people in the spiritual world, when he would put his spirit in his body, he would do this. He disappears. But then when he puts his spirit back in the spiritual world, then suddenly he rematerializes. Now there's another experience. This is number four, the out of body experience. Now what do we mean by that? Let's have a look at a definition from Wikipedia. An out-of-body experience, OBE, or sometimes OOBE, is an experience that typically involves a feeling of floating outside one's body, or in some cases, the feeling of perceiving one's physical body as if from a place outside one's body, autoscopy. Swedenborg talks about this and even extends it beyond that. There are various different kinds. People have talked about astral projection or spirit travel, excursions, and so on, different terms for it. But this is a state... Unlike the meditation, this is where you're no longer conscious of your physical body at all. You're awake. You're completely awake. It's in the middle of the day, and yet you have traveled entirely away from your physical senses, and now you're entirely engrossed in some spiritual experience and moving around in it. We think of this as something uh, that may be characteristic. You know, it's an interest of the, the new age. It's something that scientists are studying, and some say, well, I think this happens and something. I don't think it does. But it's also something that belongs to the Christian tradition going back a long ways. Paul, uh, writer of the epistles in the New Testament, says uh, this in his uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. People think he's referring to himself. He says, I know a man in Christ— who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And then he goes on to say that he experienced things that can't even be put into words. It fascinates me that Paul could not tell, like the experience was so engrossing, and he was in his spiritual body, that he didn't even know whether he was in the physical body or he wasn't. All he knows is he was caught up to the third heaven. Swedenborg says, actually, that the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, were having these kind of experiences. Like, you read about things, you know, Daniel sees a ram and a goat, or Ezekiel sees a whole new temple, and so on. Uh, these were experiences, Swedenborg says, that they had out of body. Their physical senses had shut down and they were just gone into another realm. They're completely engrossed. So all their conscious input is coming from their spiritual senses. And Swedenborg even says that he himself, uh, that his experiences were like that, that he compares his experiences to what the prophets experienced. Here's True Christianity 157. Since our spirit means our mind, therefore being in the spirit, as the word sometimes says, refers to the state of our mind when it is separated from our body. In this state, the prophets saw the sort of things that exist in the spiritual world. Therefore, this state is called a vision of God. At those times, the prophet's state was like the state of spirits and angels in the spiritual world, even though they were still living in the physical world. In this state, our spirit can move from place to place while our body stays where it is, as is also true of our mind's eye. This is the state I myself have been in now for 26 years, with the difference that I am in my spirit and my body at the same time, and only sometimes out of my body. Well, and that
1: is a great segue into simultaneous experiences.
0: Oh, simultaneous. Now you mentioned that before. What exactly do you mean by that?
1: I'm talking about you're observing the physical and the spiritual world at the same time, like in an in an overlapping way.
0: Oh, okay. Well,
1: but it's like, it's like how we do graphics here. If mm. you and I, we're real here, microphones, a table are real, but if we want to do something like bring in elephants, we do that in the digital realm. You know? Oh, Hey, so, everybody. Sort of in the, in the other world.
0: Yeah, I got it. But isn't it the case that actually our backgrounds are always digital graphics? Like all of that is digital graphics all the time. Really? This is digital? Uh, yeah, yeah. What's it, what's it really like back there? Hmm. Cool. Okay, but how does that actually play out in a spiritual experience? What does that look like? Oh, then? the
1: simultaneous thing? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to show you, and it sounds like it's time for part three. All right. so as we just alluded to, we're now going to be talking about simultaneous experiences, which in some ways are the most fascinating experiences that Swedenborg and others report. And another important point here is that this is the very first butter-related item in this episode, which is pretty far into the episode before we did that. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. Swedenborg reports a simultaneous experience in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences 3894. He's talking about auras, and it's a weird beginning, so hang with me. Just as when the dung of horses was seen, I observed that certain spirits could not stand the aura arising from it, namely of reasonings in the case of evil ones and perhaps of scientific confirmations with the good. What he means is, he he had an experience where there was some horse poop, and because of the smell of it, that corresponded to a particular kind of mental state that drove the spirits around him crazy. So he's given a throwback to that, just like when that happened. And here's our new experience. So it is in other instances, as when I was eating buttered bread, then certain spirits or societies of spirits were displeased, even to the point of threatening to harm my tongue, saying they could not stand it for the reason that butter symbolizes what is heavenly, thus the aura of the good, which the evil could not bear." Stop eating that butter, I'm gonna (laughs) kick you in the tongue. "'Therefore, I had to abstain from butter for a long time.' This really changed his diet. "'Likewise, that one kind of tea was more pleasing than another, just because they drew from it an aura that had less of a spiritual quality.'" you have a serious interaction here that the spirits are not even only aware of what Swedenborg's doing in the physical world, but their their consciousnesses are so linked that when he tastes something, it displays itself in the spiritual world in such a way that that they're like, we got to take action. You you can't eat that. You can't drink that. We want this, like, less spiritual tea. Go have that. So there's, like, a clear crossover of multiple senses, hearing and taste at least, if they couldn't even see what was going on. And that's some of the hectic nature of when you get these two worlds colliding like that. There was also a short clip that we animated that was a story that Swedenborg told uh, about some students... Who were in the spiritual world observing what he was writing. And you'll see here in this very first line a crossover like that. All of a sudden the students saw a bug scurry across my paper, and they asked in amazement what... So that is students looking at a bug in the physical world on Swedenborg's paper, but they're in the spiritual world, and they're asking what it means, and this launches them into this whole sequence of explanations, and it says, uh, you know, what would the hidden infinity inside of each of us. Check out the short clip for more about that. But it just shows this is a clear experience where the spiritual world can comment on the physical world. Also, and I was shocked to learn this just when Jonathan and I were talking before making this episode, there is a passage where Swedenborg talks about hearing a hammer talk. that He says he's hearing the, the hooves of horses and the cherry or the carriages that they're behind. The sound that they produce at the same time was affecting an inflow from the spiritual world so that whenever they made a sound, he heard spiritual words along with it. So, for instance, it would be like,
0: I like Swedenborg and life. Weird.
1: Right? I don't know, he didn't say what the hammer was saying or what kind of stuff it was talking about, but that there was a trigger in the physical world, or seemed to be a trigger in the physical world, that was allowing this spiritual stuff to be hurt. So if you've ever had your chair start to talk to you, maybe you're having a simultaneous experience. There's also positive experiences. These have been kind of neutral and weird, but there's also some very heavenly stuff that goes on that has to do with health. And Swedenborg describes it in Spiritual Experiences 370. Bodily peace is, of course, the health of the body and all its members. But besides health, there is also a delicious and perceptible peace of the whole body, which was made known to me by an actual and perceptible operation of spirits into the inner organs of the body, in harmony with the original shaping of the internal organs. From this, there is bodily peace. And presumably, this is something that we all are experiencing to smaller extents, but you have. Heaven corresponds to the human form. So heaven... from the form of heaven, we get our form, in a way. And so when we're just lined up, we're in health, which is a reflection of the heavenly manifestation of it, there's actually a communication between certain spirits or angels and parts of the body, and that's part of the essence of the sense of well-being that comes in. So there's a clear... there's a spiritual reality, and Swedenborg is fe- feeling it play out in the stuff inside of his belly. Right? How can you get much more intimate than that? That's our categories, but I wanted to give you guys, since you've been so patient watching this entire show, how about a few bonus experiences here? These are things that don't neatly fit into any of those categories, but he describes them, and the one I want to start with is perhaps what well, I feel like is the most bizarre of all. It doesn't, the subject material is not that weird, but when you think about the implications, it seems quite strange. So I'll let him tell his own story. This is from Heaven and Hell 441.
2: As for the second kind of experience, being led by the spirit into another place, I have been shown by first-hand experience what happens and how it happens, but only two or three times. I should like to cite just one experience. While I was walking through city streets and through the countryside, absorbed in conversation with spirits, it seemed exactly as though I were just as awake and observant as ever, walking without straying, though all the while I was in visions. I was seeing groves, rivers, mansions, houses, people and more. After I had been walking for some hours though, I suddenly found myself back in consciousness of my physical sight and realized that I was somewhere else. I was utterly stunned by this and realized that I had been in the state of people described as being led by the Spirit into another place. For as long as it lasted, I was not thinking about my route, even though it might have been many miles, or about the time, though it might have been many hours or even days. I was not conscious of any fatigue either. This is how we can be led by ways we know nothing of, all the way to some predetermined place. Without straying,
1: so his body was walking across the city while he was somewhere else. So somehow it was like some whether there's like some other spiritual influences that are guiding it or angels or something, but he's able to navigate things. And what would happen if you had talked to him right then? Would he have said is someone else talking to you? Anyway, I find it quite fascinating, and even before. Swedenborg had any of this, the veil is pierced, he's talking to spirits, you know, at will, anytime. He still had little spiritual things that not only appeared to him, but gave him feedback on his work. He describes a flame that would appear. He said when he was writing a particular work prior to uh, his his like uh, his published spiritual works, whenever he was writing the right thing, this flame would appear and say, it's just like an indication, good job. And when he wasn't, it would disappear. So there's a guiding flame on the, the uh, winding path of what he was writing down. Also, there were some experiences he had that were not any of the senses as we think of them, but they were just feelings, just like... Um, emotions, almost. This is Spiritual Experiences 255. He says, When I was brought into thoughts about how the very inward and innermost angels influence human minds, and was reflecting that they do so in an imperceptible manner. And while I was pondering on these matters, then I was given from the mercy of God the Messiah to sense a gentle kind of turning motion overhead, into which I later even seemed to be raised up, or which enfolded my thoughts. At the first sensation, when I was not yet in it, It was like the turning motion of a soft cloud settling down. And it was said that this can be called the cherubs, to whom wheels are ascribed in the book of Ezekiel, on account of that turning motion. So After this, that field encompassed me and I experienced a great calmness." So whether or not he's seeing anything at the same time, it seems to be primarily calm, this rotation, somehow this heavenly rotation, he's experiencing that inside him. So those are a couple bonuses. We gave you categories, but it all needs to be served with this asterisk, which is from Spiritual Experiences Word Explained 365. After he lists these categories, he says, there are in fact many other kinds of visions, which cannot possibly be described. The spiritual world is more expansive than you think it is. The potential for engagement, if you didn't see an experience you had listed here, no worries if you think, oh, those are all... The-. There's, there's tons more. And he acknowledges it there. There's value to categorizing the most basics, but there's just way more out there that, than, uh, than you'd ever think.
0: Wow, there's so much out there. Yeah,
1: and so that we don't forget the little portion we've learned today, it's time for our wrap-up. Swedenborg received instruction and meaning in a particularly sweet state between waking and sleeping that we would now call hypnagogic or hypnopompic. He also found himself lucid and learning concrete things about the spiritual world in his dreams. The dormancy of the physical senses during and around sleep allowed for this clear connection.
0: Meditative is a category of spiritual experience in which we're wide awake but with eyes closed and senses quietened, and we can consciously see and interact with things and people in the spiritual world, and they can see us. Out-of-body experience takes it a step further. It is when, although we're wide awake, we lose all consciousness of being in our body and may even see it from a distance, and we're entirely engrossed in a spiritual perspective. Swedenborg even got to a state of such openness that he could be experiencing physical
1: and spiritual things simultaneously and observe them interfacing with each other. Of course, the five types of experiences we covered here are just part of a broad spectrum of potential interaction with the spiritual world." And so we uh, did pretty well on our to-do list, I feel like. Well, I mean, we definitely got to the the five categories, Yeah, that's right. That was no problem, Um, and I think we actually found the parallels that we we're looking for the reason behind it in this exploration of the spiritual and physical senses mm. that it's because there's very specific mechanisms having to do with the dormancy or openness of the senses and how they're how they're inputting versus how the spiritual world is allowed mm. to input that's why you get these clear categories across time but i don't know if we did anything about the third one uh, uh
0: what does it mean you know do you have any thoughts on that right well one thought is picking up on what you just said that that ordering of it like for someone who is having these experiences as swedenborg was i noticed that he sat down and kind of wrote a list of them to try to sort of organize it and understand it and if other people are having spiritual experiences maybe this is helpful like rather than think well i'm going out of my mind to think oh okay this is showing me something about the relationship of the spirit and the body right 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 right
1: yeah and i to me the thing that I that always is inspiring to me about Swedenborg's experiences is not even the what happened in them, but what they're teaching him about mm. the greater reality. You remember in early in those um, hypnagogic experiences where there's all this weird stuff happening, this weird tooth or whatever, but it's it's telling you about uh, a deeper love that underlies everything. Like, wait, don't don't try to think you're better than people. Try to make what's Exterior um be be more like what's higher and good mm. It seems to me like the the world that's being described, even through all this strangeness, is one that's practical and loving and, and, and inclusive and so to me that's a big part of the importance of it
0: yes, and uh, another thought that's coming to me is that when um if people don't have these kind of experiences, lots of people don't hello uh, the uh, that's um not a cause for concern. Right. You know, it's not like, "Oh, oh, I'm not going to be ready for the spiritual world because I never have these experiences." Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's like that at all and uh swedenborg says uh at one point uh early on that no one can boast about having a spiritual experience i mean after all in scripture balaam's donkey was seeing angels and uh <laughs> right. so it's not like it's so great to have one it's not like it's so bad to not have one yeah uh but i think the main thing is that if we know that these things exist uh you know that we're gonna survive death ultimately like it's Reassuring yeah. that our there are senses we have that are not just our physical senses. To me, that's kind of a bottom line about it.
1: And I'm and I'm sitting here saying I don't have spiritual experiences, but I'm still obsessed with Swedenborg's material right. because it's helping me with my regular experiences. Yeah, w- w- like w- where it really is the difference? But that's where it's all. I'm not really I, I'm not really reading like thinking. Okay, eventually I'm going to get to I'm going to have an O O B E or something. No, I'm. He's telling me he went and saw all this weird stuff that's telling me how to navigate my own own thoughts as I'm trying to plan my day, or what do I listen to, what do I not? So to me, the, the real value is in what we can do day to day, and I think that's why, although he mm. describes what he saw there, he doesn't give you much on, mm. this is how you achieve what I achieve. So I think, really, the, it's, the regular experiences are what we all share, and we're in them most of the time, and that's where like the real work gets done.
0: That's right, that's right. And the way that he says the spiritual world interacts with our thoughts and feelings... And isn't that where the, the rubber meets the road, is it uh, on a day-to-day basis, we're walking around in lives, but we're also having thoughts and feelings about other people, about ourselves, and so on. And understanding the origin of that, yeah. that's super concrete, and everybody's in that game every minute of every day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so hopefully that's clear, and we want to get to a couple questions of yours, but first, a, a couple of quick Thanks. Thank you to all of you for watching and being sort of the heart and soul of this program. If you want to help this spread out on the internet, consider liking and subscribing. That gets us in good with YouTube, and then that leads it so they put it out and other people might stumble across it and maybe find something uh, that they really like. And if you want to be part of making this programming possible, consider joining us on Patreon. It's a way that you can just, for a very little donation of a dollar a week, make our show work. And also as a thank you from us to you, we'll give you exclusive behind-the-scenes content. For example, remember I was talking about this hammer, right, that I learned about Swedenborg's experience with the Talking Hammer while we were getting ready for this show? Well, we have that conversation where I learn about it. Uh, up on Patreon. So you'll see me at the moment when I understood, oh, he talked to a hammer? What are we telling people? So anyway, that, that's just a way that you can get even more involved, and, and uh, we, we give you a little thank you back. So thanks, everyone. And now let's take some time to get to your questions. When people die and cross over, most of them say that they see black before seeing the white light. What does the black symbolize? Eric. So that's fascinating. And what does it mean?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the first thought that comes to mind is sort of like uh, it's the end of one life and the beginning of the next. You know, there yeah. certainly is a transition there. It's seamless the way Swedenborg describes it, uh, but still there's sort of like like at the end of the movie when it goes to black kind of thing. It's like, yeah. okay, that movie's over. Now we start the next, the next one kind of thing and yeah. sets the stage for that white light. Um, and there's these repeating patterns
1: Throughout life, because I, I think about regeneration, the, the spiritual rebirth, and we were just talking in our Colors episode about how the black preceding the first light is this sort of state of humility. Exactly. And, the, and right. so there, we, we're living that out on a, a grander scale. We've just barely entered this new phase of life. We're mm. just starting out there. So there's this continual progression.
0: That's right. And for, from going from nothing to something. Yeah. And in fact, even though you've had this whole life in this world, uh, that is a very humble... I've thought death must be a humbling experience, right. you know what I mean? Like, like, um, And so that black would correspond to that Be a little part humility. of that.
1: Hello, there's a couple thoughts, Eric. Hope, hope that uh, addresses what you're talking about. Let's look at the next question. This is from Martin. Do you think our spiritual mind in dreams tries to speak to our earthly mind to make us understand in two perspective ways? Uh, the answer is, I think so. I mean, I definitely feel like I've been... You know, educated through dreams, isn't there the inner self that Swedenborg talks about? What What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think so too. I, I've I've had a few dreams that I felt were specifically instructive, and that were about something going on in my life, or or something. You know, how to handle a relationship differently, or just telling me about um, about spiritual things or, or something. And um, so, I do think that's a uh, a real possibility, as we were talking about in this show tonight. Okay,
1: let's read the next one. Paladin One Warrior says, Why are there so many NDEs that have a bad place of fire and demonic torment? Could Swedenborg explain those experiences with his theology? Well, and Swedenborg certainly does include a dark side to the afterlife where he says mm-hmm. his book, most famous book is Heaven and Hell, that's and right. you see scenes in there that don't seem too far from what any, like, uh, right, those experiences you're describing, Dante, that sort of It's not that different. However, the meaning of those flames and, and, and the this, this this scary stuff you see is very different, whereas, because in, in traditional Christian thought, those are sort of like torture devices, whereas Swedenborg seems to indicate that that's a representation of just how mean people are in mm. hell that's that's their own evil love that you see as this burning and so people experiencing that that's kind of like hey watch out with the stuff you're involved in is really destructive
0: yeah that's right i can't help but think that there's something and this is true of everybody we have things in our lower self that are you know connect with hell or are yeah. open to things like that and and so for some people it may be important to um get that sort of connection to feel that viscerally in some way before you move on at least some of the ones that i've been aware of that people have written about near-death experiences like that um they move on from there you know like it gets better from there absolutely but it's it's bad at the beginning and i don't know if that's just sort of you know i mean i feel like hang around with uh You know, negative influences sometimes, just like, you know, I'm in a bad mood or something, you know. And so I don't know if I was in that state, if I slipped in into the other world, had an NDE, would, you know, would I be seeing that manifest around me in some sense?
1: Yeah, part of it is just like a realization that things are, because I'll get little thought, critical thoughts about people, something like that, that, that seem like, Oh, it's not that... But you really think about the essence of what that... That's a terrible thing. You know, like, it's mm, never yes. something you would say. So right. uh, maybe part of that is just like a realization. Well, this this is really not something I want to be connected to. Um, yeah. So, so getting some of that... And, and really, everyone who seems to have these, as you're saying, they have an an effect, on, a corrective effect on people that in the end, they're glad they had uh,
0: Yes, I'm sure that the point of that would not be like, oh, here you're horrible or something. No, yeah. the point would be... Hey, you know, here's an opportunity to th- hold that in a different way or yeah, something, yeah. you
1: know. Great. Okay, thanks, Paladin One Warrior. Let's look at the next question. This is from Mary. When I dream, sometimes there are a lot of people around in my dreams that I do not know. Are these my community spirits and my guiding angels? Mm. What do you think?
0: I have really wondered that. I mean, sometimes I'm amazed. In, in my dreams like how many there's like crowds and crowds of people and like, i don't know do you want who to be an extra are. in jonathan's dream like <laughs> bucks. i i don't know who that is but it just seems like there are events going on and people are gathering or something yeah. i i don't honestly know what you know i don't yeah. know if that's that's my community or not because sometimes they feel they feel familiar i might feel like i know them in some way even though i don't when i wake up Uh, But sometimes it feels like I'm like I get dreams where I'm traveling a lot and I'm in some other place, you know, and so I don't know. Swedenborg talks about the fact that while we're alive in this world and shortly after we die, we are taken through different communities to see what we respond to we're almost deliberately taking the communities that are foreign to us did you light
1: up about that you know and
0: just like is do you like this group or does this feel foreign or how does this suit you and bring out different sides of your personality you know
1: and there's this weird line blurry line though between what's actually people and what's just representation i feel like especially on the outer levels of spiritual Mm. experience like dreams the more obscure levels because there's times when Swedenborg, as we saw in this episode, will see somebody in a dream and say, "Oh, you're a spirit. You're a real person appearing." Yes, but right. there's other times if you look at the the where dreams come from episode, angels are having a conversation about a particular state of mind. Swedenborg knows somebody in that state of mind, so or that he thinks is in that state of mind, so a person like that appears in his dream. Person. and also even in the spiritual world, the outer levels of it, he'll see like here's a um, you know somebody's somebody's thoughts and affections represented by people, or people will look like children. With yeah. So what are really people? What are just your own? I think it's only when you get really up to the higher levels that you everything you see as a person really is a person. So it could be, the answer is, like, it could be any combination. Yeah, it
0: could be a whole host of thoughts and feelings yeah, that, yeah. that you're having or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah,
1: so anyway, uh, hopefully we've uh, offered you nothing concrete there, Mary. <laughs> Let's do one more question here. This is Martin. I wanted to know if we can gain and develop the skills to do what Swedenborg did. Mm. Um
0: yet, That is a very you, interesting question. As Curtis mentioned earlier in the show here, the um uh Swedenborg doesn't give like an instruction manual. Like the closest yeah. thing to a manual in there is he says like Repent, be a good person, love no, your neighbor. Nothing supernatural. He, you know, he doesn't yeah. say breathe in your left nostril and out your right nostril, or yeah. you know, be careful on Saturdays right. not to think of a white bear or something. You know, he he, he doesn't. <laughs> Man, uh, did I have trouble with that growing up. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I know what you mean. Me too. Uh, <laughs> okay, we're <laughs> rolling. <laughs> um, it's a very important question, and I, th- on the one hand, I think what Swedenborg is saying is that uh, he needed a special protection to go through what he went through. You know, yeah. there's some danger involved. That point that we made earlier, that uh, the spirits become aware of you, hey, you know, that can sort of go both ways. You know, I'm sorry to
1: cut you off, but listen, in not one, not two, but three episodes from now, we're doing a show called Is It Safe to Talk to Spirits? There you go. Not to just put it off, but we're going to go into the details yeah. of that there. Um, and. Perhaps we will
0: learn some things ourselves between now and then about it. And so, on the one hand, it seems like there are some things that are are special. Swedenborg doesn't say that what he went through was absolutely unique, but a but it it was unusual, obviously at yes. that time. But on the other hand, it seems to me the whole point of what he's talking about. Is that this uh, world is supposed to become more like heaven? There's supposed to be more interaction yep. with heaven and all that kind of stuff. The, who knows what all different forms that might take? Uh, yeah. I've thought sometimes it might be kind of exhausting to to be Swedenborg because you're around spirits are making him vomit or the, you know he's going through butter. intense yeah that butter thing that would be a hardship for me and um, so uh, you know. Uh, I think it so much depends on what is useful, yeah. what helps other people, and that kind of thing. But yeah. I think there's some place, a heaven on earth, you know, is going to be people, there's some sort of uh, interaction between heaven and the people in this world. and yeah. so uh, That's but, the
1: ideal state we're trying to get to. That's right. That that's how it was in the beginning. There was open communication. Hopefully in the, the new era, the new church, it'll, it'll
0: be that way. It'll too. be that way. And the main thing is that we need to get the stuff out of the way, you know, our main yeah. job is not necessary to develop those skills. That, that will sort of unfold. We'll be taught that, I think. But, yeah. but to get the junk out of the way that stands in the way. Right, right, right.
1: Cool. All right. Hopefully that uh, got some junk out of the way for all of you. Uh, if not, sorry about you having to watch all of that. Uh, thanks so much, Jonathan Rose. Uh, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to be talking about the battle between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. How, how that struggle is playing out in us and, and why the spiritual world is, is somewhere where you got to be careful when you're going into it, so we'll be talking about that then there too. Everyone, we'll see you next week.
2: Swedenborg in Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keys, Reed McCardle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.